0: This is Doug Scheiding of Rogue Cookers, baseball fan and barbecue world champion. You are listening to the Baseball and Barbecue Show with Lynn and Jeff. Let's
1: play
2: ball.
3: From the studios of baseball and bbq on Long Island, New York. This is episode number 159 of Baseball and BBQ. What a BBQ stands for?
4: Barbecue.
3: I'm Jeff Cohen, along with Leonard Laborman. Ha- 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 <laughs> and we welcome you back to our podcast. Leonard. Wow,
0: Jeff episode 159 i'm so glad to be here tell you guys who we've got on we have two great guys gary kashik and tom tunison they wrote a book called go the distance and if you recognize the name gary kashik he actually wrote a book with cleon jones yeah which is uh at least it was i think it probably still is on the new york times bestseller list
3: i hope so yeah
0: yeah and then uh we have Spencer and Andy Mantis of mantisbbq.com they'll talk about their sauce they'll talk about the their great cause but first let me just tell you guys that basketball is back and bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season you will always find the latest odds team matchup information player news End game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Jeff? Yes, sir. I just wanted to make sure I had your attention because I want to just briefly talk a little bit about our next interview with Gary Kashuk and Tom Tunison, who wrote the book, Go the Distance. I just want to say that it was a pleasure to interview them.
3: It was, yes.
0: I ver- I very much enjoyed the book. Me too. Yeah. And I want everybody to listen. Introduce them. Here we go. Gary Kashuk and Tom Tunison with Go the Distance.
3: Fate. Fate is what happened on August 27th, 2022. I happened to see on Facebook that the co-author of the Cleon Jones book was going to speak at our local library. I told Len that this could be an opportunity to meet and interview him. Didn't turn out that way. Instead, we were treated to a book discussion on the book, Go the Distance, by our guests, Tom Tunison and Gary Kashak. Talk about being blown away. This is the true inspirational story of Tom Tunison. Tom is a member of the Thurman Munson Hall of Fame Committee and Baseball Historian. He coached Duke's Baseball for a quarter century and co-authored Thurman Munson's Decade of Unmatched Excellence. But his story is one of faith, love, and passion, which encouraged him to go the distance. Gary has served as a sports writer or columnist for the Vestal News, the Green Bay Press Gazette, the Burlington County Times. He served the Montrose Independent as a sports editor. He also served as a sports reporter for WKOP Radio out of Binghamton, New York. He's covered Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies for the Cooperstown Crier and the Oneonta Daily Star. Welcome, gentlemen.
5: Welcome, guys. Thank you, both of you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. When we
0: met you guys at the Belmore Library.
5: Yes, Uh, sir. On Bedford Avenue. That's right.
0: Didn't know what to expect. Was happy, though, that I bought the book because it was exceptional. It's, I will recommend though, that when you are reading this book for all our listeners who I want to buy this book, make sure you have a box of tissues next to you, because (laughs) Tom, you know, you've been through a lot and you have persevered and it's just, it's a beautiful story. So Let's start at the beginning as, as someone once said, a very good place to start. There you go. And you, you start the story. You're, you're a little kid. I I don't even know if you were in kindergarten and
5: just out of of kindergarten. Correct.
0: Fast. You could run like the wind and you find out you had pain and you didn't want to tell your parents about it. And you found out you had what's called Persis. Could you just give us give us a little bit of uh, uh, of your background, how how you
5: start? Well, it's called uh, it's called Perthies Hips. And I was the I'm the youngest of seven children to Royal Virginia, Tunison in Belmore, Long Island. And, you know, you're talking about the 1960s. So it's the baby boom. And boy, there were kids everywhere. So, you know. In my house alone, you got seven kids. So there's a game going on. And, you know, it's not like I got this injury. So there's always kids everywhere. They're all running around playing. It's not like I had this injury when I was like two or three years old. I was thinking about it today, you know, because I knew we were going to talk about it. I had it when I was six years old. I got this injury, this disease. So I was already, you know, I was on the move. So all that was really taken away from me. A three-year-old kid would have it taken away, but really not feel the impact of it. I really did. I mean, I, I was I was playing games already. I was throwing. I remember being picked at my cousins because I could throw so well. At six years old, Before, right before the injury, we'd pick up picking teams. The whole family get together, and they picked me. And my cousins, my older cousin, what an arm. What an arm. I was six years old had that taken away from me, I had Perthes hips, the rotator ball in my hip joint wore away. That's what happened. And uh, they diagnosed me with Perthes hips, and the recommendation was three years or more of of rest with no guarantees.
0: You were put in a full body cast. That is just... I mean, when when you see when people see in movies, you know, they they see someone in a hospital bed and and the person walks in and they don't know who it is. This wasn't far from. I mean, you were in a full body cast.
5: I was in a full body cast. I sure was. And, and, you know, they shut me right down, didn't want me to walk or put any pressure on those at all, because any more pressure that I put on those legs would do more damage to the, the little bit of bone that was left there to swivel on. So wasn't quite a year, but for a long time, I was in that full body cast. And, you know, the worst part about that was not being able to digest your food. <laughs> you know, I think mm. in the book, I, I tell you what I went and getting an itch, you know, you, you'd have an itch down in there somewhere and you couldn't get it. Mm. <laughs> you couldn't scratch that itch. That, that was rough, too, you know?
3: Yeah. Now, uh, Gary, uh, you w- wrote the book with Tom. How was it? how did the writing process go? I mean, he was telling your story and you're you're putting the words to it. Could you tell us how you got together and and how you came about to to write this book?
4: Absolutely. So I had been on another Hall of Fame committee, both Tom and I are on the Thurman Munson Hall of Fame committee. I was on the Dummy Hoy, who was a deaf ball player back in the 1800s. And one of our members lives in Canton, Ohio, where Thurman's from. And there was an article written in that newspaper uh that the they developed a committee for Thurman Munson's getting him into the hall of fame she sent me the clipping just knowing that I love the Yankees a little did she know that uh, Thurman Munson was one of my top five Yankees of all time and I had seen him play in Binghamton where I'm from incidentally all my favorite Yankees are M's Mantle Maris Mercer Munson and Mattingly (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um I contacted the person who was interviewed in that article, uh, Larry Schnapp, who was also on our committee, told him who I was and that I was actually interested in helping, that I was on another committee. He put me in touch with Tom, and we hit it off immediately. Immediately, we just, he invited me out to the committee uh, within just minutes uh, without even asking the other people. So that's how it all started, and then it, uh, it snowballed big time after that.
3: When did you come up the idea that this should be his story? Should be part of this this great book? Go to the distance.
4: Well, we met in Binghamton, New York. I don't know how much longer it was uh, after we had first met on the phone. Uh, I set up a, a radio interview on a, on a with a report with a person in Binghamton, so we could tell our story, trying to get Munson into the Hall of Fame. That day was so magical. So many things happened. For example. Uh, we met within a minute of each other. We met at the same parking lot, about a minute apart. Uh, he came from one direction; I came from the other, and uh, we had our interview. That was fantastic. Uh, at the, on the same day, the New York Mets minor league baseball team, the uh, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, were having. They were interviewing people from their boosters club to talk about ex Binghamton players. Who, and they were—they had painted a mural on the inside of the, near the box office as you enter the stadium, and uh, they had invited us on that very same day to come in and, and, and look at it and all that. And we thought it was amazing coincidence, serendipity, that it was on the very same day we're having our interview. I mean, how could that be? It was—it was just it was, it was perfect. So uh, we finished our interview and uh, on our way to the stadium to meet up with the people who are going to show us around. They they informed us that the person who was supposed to speak about Thurman Munson was not going to be coming and they only had one day to tape and they asked us if we could fill in. And so we <laughs> did. And that from that point on, I felt that there was a really cool story here. And as I learned more about Tom and all these issues when he was a kid and everything like that, I don't remember exactly when it was that we, I said to him, I, I think we have a book here. But that that's how it all began. It, it was just too many coincidences like that that just, I could could not ignore.
3: And, and that's why I started this with when talking about fate, because that, that was fate. That was that was a great story in the book. Yep. And, and and Tom, you know, it's just you know, like you said, serendipity that, that it happened. Now now, Tom, I want to ask you, you're six years old, six, seven years old, immobile, body cast and, and crutches and, and in a wheelchair. And you start watching baseball. And it hit you. Thurman yeah. Munson. Thurman uh, Munson. Tell us about how that became your guide, I guess, to, to this journey of yours.
5: Yeah. I got to first off, I remember watching the original Babe Ruth story. And that really struck me. Just absolutely loved it. And my older brothers were baseball fans. Listening to the Yankee broadcast, even though the Mets were the darlings of, of the city then, right? 69, they won the World Series. That's Fascinating. I loved it. But I couldn't get enough of Phil Rizzuto and Bill White and Frank Messer and their Yankee stories by Phil Rizzuto. And when he came on the scene, he just had a special way about the way he played the game and the confident way he carried himself on the field it was fascinating and uh he got some big hits he could throw what an arm what an incredible arm and and that's it you know it was uh it was Munson Roy White and Bobby Mercer for so many of us you know in that area but so they would buy me baseball cards packs of cards cuz that's one thing i could do it sit there and look at the cards and i learned how to read really quickly too i was a very fast learner how to read and Nothing like that. So I would study the back of the cards, and that seventy-one tops card. I kept getting that card, the Munson card, where he's where he's making the plate. So this is you know all during that time, I kept getting that same card over and over. I said, "How odd is that? This guy's amazing. I love watching him play, and I keep getting that card." So that's where it started. Just laying there, not being able to play myself. My dad would take me to my brother's games. He Load me up in my in my wheelchair. Once I got out of the bus and got into the wheelchair, and I would watch them run the bases, and they were so good. My brothers were very good players, and it was exciting. And I couldn't get enough of it. I just fell in love with all the Yankee names: Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and then Thurman Munson. That just fit right in there for me, mm-hmm. fit perfect. He was the guy, and he was the leader.
0: Your book. Brings back so many memories. Um, oh, just give me a little time right now. First, you talk about you guys are playing stickball with the super pinky when it would get away and it would roll down the street sometimes and it would go down the sewer. When I read that, I was like, oh, what? Wow. Yeah. All of a sudden, the flashback that would happen. It would go right down the sewer, and you're like, "Game over." <laughs> That's it.
5: Okay. Is that Len? Yes. Len, was was that you describing? It? Len, I I have to tell you, as you're describing it, you I'm getting chills. I yeah. the making this connection with you right here is just so awesome that somebody else can remember, uh, other than my my buddies from my childhood. You know, that you can. Oh my gosh. Perfect description. Mm -hmm. Great job. Thank Uh, you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, let's let's keep going down that path because here's here's another one. And this one you you talk about. I I just got flashbacks. Little League Baseball. When the coach would come and he'd have that bag. It's like a big duffel bag, right? Mm -hmm. And they'd empty it out and the bats would clang because they were aluminum bats, and you'd hear them clang. There'd be catcher's equipment in that bag. There'd be baseballs at the bottom of that bag. They'd all just drop in front of the fenced area, and there was a (laughs) cop in in that bag (laughs) that had been worn, who knows how many times by how many people. And just... I I just that that memory is so ingrained in me. That's another one. How about you talk about wiffle ball? Who didn't play wiffle ball, whether in their backyard or we set up a chair like a beach chair? Yes. Backstop.
5: That was the strike zone.
0: Yes. And if it if it stayed in the chair, if you swung. Yes. It stayed in the chair. Uh-huh. Was that was our rule. Oh, just. Yeah. And the other thing that you talk about when you are laying down in your body cast and you're throwing the ball in the air and it has to go up and down, I would do that with a balloon.
5: Yes. And yes, tap, absolutely.
0: Half the balloon. I mean, this is just so many memories I could just go on and on. But you talked about, I know you're from Belmore, further in the book, getting Chinese food in Bath, New York, because you talked about a fortune cookie, which I want you to talk about. But I want to ask you just before that, a kid growing up in Belmore, were you a Kuang Ming fan or were you a Hunan?
5: Um, (laughs) That's a good one. I'll tell you this. I loved spare ribs. I loved the the spare ribs from uh, the Chinese and fried rice. Okay, but I will say this: as a teenage kid and then a young adult, it was Wohop in Chinatown, chicken and oysters. So I don't know <laughs> if you've ever been to Chinatown and Wohop, but wow.
0: So, so tell us about the fortune cookie, though.
5: So this is really interesting. I had been doing my months in research and it got to the point where I was able to do it more, a lot more. My kids were getting older. I think Jimmy, my youngest, was still the only one left at home and he was in high school. So I was starting to accelerate my work with Thurman, you know, and I got on and I would argue for and debate people about his credibility. and. I got a little annoyed, and I could, earlier in my younger days, I could be a little bit of a hothead like Billy Martin. <laughs> I'm not ashamed <laughs> of it just That's the way it goes, you know. We got cheese food one night, and I opened mine up. Love those fortune cookies. Love the cookies. Love the fortunes inside. And it said, beware the f- of a patient man. And right away, I thought, fury, a man with fury, that doesn't look so good. And then I thought of patience. And then I thought, how how does that apply to me? How can that apply to me? And I immediately said, that's it. That's it. I've been patient. It's been years and years and years. This man deserves this. I'm going to be patient, but I'm going to use that fury inside of me. In an intelligent, smart way, and never stop fighting for Thurman. That's what I did. I learned the new metrics. Was not happy about the new metrics at first. I, you know, was old school guy, average home runs, RBIs, hits, runs scored. But I said, this is happening, and this is where baseball's going. I better learn a little bit about this and. I did. I took that few and that patience and put it together, and that good old fortune cookie still sits right in my wallet. That message, that yes. fortune, and cookie. and not the
0: cookie. The cookie, not the cookie. <laughs> the cookie.
5: <laughs> the cookie. <laughs> my mistake. Fortune. That fortune cookie message sits right in my wallet with me. And uh, yeah, yes.
3: Now, now, Gary, I, I know. Look, I've said this several times to you. That I was blown away with the, with the book. Go the Distance by Tom Tunison and Gary Kachak. Gary, I, I think this book has a lot of—I don't want to say coincidence, but but fate. I mean, how were you, what were you thinking when Tom telling you, "Oh, he ran into uh, Dwyer Brown at a baseball card sh- uh, show," or how he met his wife on, on going down to Florida, or, or anything else? I mean, what was your? How did you put it all together? I mean, I'm still—I'm still gushing about this book.
4: Well, since I've been young, I felt like I've, I've listened to and, and read the signs that life gives us, and not just to pass it off as coincidence. And as I, my relationship with Tom grew stronger, I learned that he felt the same way. Yeah, I, I, I was I surprised that these things came together? Not really, because I felt that there was a message from the universe that, hey, listen, Here's here's what we're trying to tell you. And uh we took it from there. So it could have ignored them like most people might, uh, but um I felt that there was enough there. I mean, look, Tom's birth dates the same as Kevin Costner. Uh there's maybe you have this later in your questions, but there's so many things, uh, even things we didn't put in the book that just continually happened to us. So I, I've just learned to recognize and read the signs and not ignore them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You talked about in Bigginton, just happened to be there and to re- record that tribute. I mean, meet meeting uh, Diana Munson, how you got tickets to the whole to the Munson dinner. I mean, you know what? what why don't you want to tell us story, that story? Because I thought that was just great. And sitting at that table.
5: OK, that's time. Sir. OK, so, yes. Always thought, boy, if, if I could just, you know, to Diana Munson. And just to let her know how much her husband meant to me and so many of us, the best place to do it would be that Munson dinner, the Thurman Munson RC Awards dinner every year in New York City. So, as my 50th approached, my 50th birthday, I had kind of hinted to my wife, you know, she had known that I always dreamed of going there. And I hinted, I said, I don't want a big party or anything like that. I would love to go to that Munson dinner if we could pull it off. And the t- tickets aren't cheap, very expensive. It's an expensive night as my birthday approached on that day, my birthday came and she handed me an envelope and I pretty good about what it might be but I you just can't believe it when you get something like that in your hands and I I opened it up and there there was invitation to the thermal and awards there for my fifth day in 2013 I couldn't believe it. So February, Of 2013, my birthday's in January. So all excited. The reason that there was some blackout on the front of the envelope, it was blacked out. She knew that if I saw what was on there, I'd know right away what it was. So the woman, she told the woman at AHRC, who she ordered the tickets with, she told her that it was for my 50th birthday. And it's a surprise. She do to hide it when she sent it in the mail, and the woman said, Oh, I'll just black that out. Well, as the woman was preparing to send the tickets and went to black it out, her boss walked by and said, You doing? Why are you blacking that out? And she said, Well, it's this man's 50th, his wife wants to surprise him, and she doesn't want him to see it. Oh, is that right? Well, we'll have a surprise for him. So, lo and behold, when the day came and we went. They sat us at table one at the Munson table. It's just unbelievable. You know, that they chose that that happened that way. We went to the lobby to sign up for the dinner to get our tickets because they actually give you the table tickets at the dinner. So that's just an invitation that they sent us, but you don't get your tickets to table till you go. When we arrived at the dinner, the woman, and we announced our name to sign in, in the Hyatt there in New York City. The woman jumped up and said, oh, Suzette, so nice to meet you. And I thought, oh, well, that's a nice greeting. We don't even know these people, but that's great. And the other woman said, Mr. Tunison, here's your tickets. So when I grabbed it, I looked at it and it had a one on it. To me, I just thought, Okay, maybe we're the first people to sign in. I don't know. I stuck at my pocket and immediately looked at the woman that was talking to Suzette to see what their excitement was all about and greeting each other. So when the the reception started, it was upstairs for the regular guests, and there was an ex- reception downstairs for the stars of the show. They had a private reception when. The bell rang to go into the receptions. They told us, you're just down this hallway here. And I thought to myself, that doesn't seem right. We're supposed to be upstairs. But I listened to, we listened to them. We went in and they let us right in. And there's Dwight Gooden standing there staring right at us. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, it's Dwight Gooden. Now, my years ago in 86, when the year the Mets won, we tried to get Gooden at an autograph session and we failed to get him. So here we were all these years later, face, face with him. He was so nice. He was dressed so sharp. He had a beige suit on. He looked fantastic. He greeted us so nice. He took pictures with us. He was pleasant. He engaged us for about five minutes. He signed the baseball for us. And we met one person after another, John Flaherty, David Phelps, the pitcher, rookie pitcher for the Yankees at the time, Greg Anthony. On and on it went. And I still hadn't seen anybody from the months since especially Diana. Well, my wife and me were just having such a great time. And I said, I, I'm going to walk around and see if I can, if I can find her. She's got to be in this big room here. And it was dimly lit. So Suzette said, okay, I'll stay right here and wait for you. We had met some other people and she was chatting with them, real nice people. So I walked around. And all of a sudden a woman's back is to me and there's another woman and this place is packed. There's another woman standing, talking to her. The other woman walked away and here's this woman standing there with her back to me all by herself. And I'm a good 15, 20 feet away. And I walked towards her. And I said, that's gotta be Diane. And she turned and there she was all by herself. I could not believe i was face to face with her in this big room and nobody was clamoring for her at that very moment i'm like you gotta be kidding me i'm face to face with her so i walked right up to her she looked at me and smiled and i said diana munson and she says you're not cry are (laughs) you i said said, no i'm not gonna cry she goes i always get these great big guys that come up to me and want to cry on my shoulder And I said, well, I won't cry. And then she says, can I give you a hug? And I said, of course. And we hugged. And as I turned around to go get Suzette, Suzette had been standing there the whole time. She had followed me right off. So I introduced her to Suzette. And uh, we just talked for five minutes. I told her how how great I thought her husband was, and what he meant to me as a a child, and then even more as an adult for, for his family, for how he literally gave his life for his family. We got to do all that in five minutes. It was amazing to be able to sit there and talk with her. And she said to go. And then Suzette said, well, Tom wants you to sign this book. Can you sign this book? And I said, no, I had found the postcard. I said, I want her to sign this. And I pulled out a 71, 1970, seven months in postcard. And she said, oh, my God, he was just a baby. She says, what do we sign it with? What do we sign it with? And we had a Sharpie and a pen, and her and Suzette looked at each other, and they both agreed, pen, at the same time. She flipped it over, and I could not believe that my wife, who got me this amazing gift, and Thurman Munson's wife, were standing there with me. And before she signed it, she looked up at me, and she said, what's your name? And I said, my name's Tom. And she started writing to Tom. And then my wife says, crying. (laughs) So it was just unbelievable. She signed to Tom. Thank you for your loyalty. Best wishes always, Diana Munson. And she said, oh, wait, I want you to meet. This is my daughter, Kelly, and my son, Michael. And now I got this postcard on my hand. She just signed it. Here's her her children's children. I am lying you can't believe we just pinch me we just can't believe we're standing here talking to them and she says listen we go take a photo she says but where are you sitting tonight so i pulled the tickets out of my pocket and i said table one in utter disbelief and she says oh we great friends you're sitting with us tonight and i'm getting chills telling you right now i just I just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And then Michael and Kelly went to walk away and I said, wait, can I take a picture with you? And Suzette reminded me, she said, Tom, we're sitting with them at their table. (laughs) I said, okay, okay. What now? (laughs) You know, what now? Holy smokes. So we got to sit. We went to the, up to the, they did a big gong. Dinner's ready, so we took the elevators up with everybody else and went up to the dining area, this big, gigantic room, and we had to walk all the way across every table, all the way up to table one, and there's Michael Munson sitting there, looking rugged as ever, staring right at us, just like his dad must have been. I thought how those reporters must have felt coming to try and talk to Thurman. We got to go sit with the Munson family. And we sat down and we had the greatest time. They were the most unbelievable people, so kind, took us in like family. And Suzette told them that I was Thurman's biggest advocate for the Hall of Fame. And then uh, we walked out of that dinner. Everybody left and we walked out with the Munsons. And one of their friends grabbed me by the arm and he said, go get him, Tom. And that kind of confirmed for me they were okay with what we were doing and the fight we were putting on for Thurman. So that, that was it. I think their kindness really propelled us forward.
0: I think the most important question that I have to ask you is, did you order the chicken or the fish? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got to tell everybody these stories you know, Tom mentions a postcard. He, These stories are all in the book, plus so many more. The book is, it, it's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of faith, fate. One of the things that, and, and this is going to be for Gary as well, even though it's not your story, Gary, but Tom, you are in the, the body cast. First, really watching the Yankees on WPIX.
5: Nineteen sixty nine.
0: Yeah. And you gravitated towards Thurman Munson. Now I'm gonna give you a second. I want to go to Gary, but after Gary, I wanna know what made you gravitate towards Thurman Munson. And at the same time, Gary, I want you to answer you well, you have your five M's, which you know Probably if he knew that, DiMaggio would have just been called Maggio because he would have wanted to be your favorite too. (laughs) But what is it about Thurman Munson that you gravitated towards? So, Gary, let's start with you and then we'll go to Tom.
4: Well, it's summed up in what I had to say about him in Binghamton as they taped us for the segment for the mural. Uh, They asked me the same question and I said, I remember in 1968, 12 years old, watching the Binghamton triplets, uh, and this guy hitting a ground ball, routine ground ball to the shortstop and flying down first base, trying, you know, busting it like Pete Rose and, and trying to, to get a hit out of it. And, it, and it, it meant something to me because I was a I was a baseball player myself. And then in another game, you know, sliding into second base, uh, trying to take out the runner always having a dirty uniform. I, I like the hustle that he showed us and the grit and the determination. And, and later on, it, 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 uh, he, he had said to Ron Gidry, yes, we can win them all. It had nothing to do with that, but I, it just confirmed in my mind, absolutely, that that's what he thought, that they could be 162-0. and That's what I remember most about Thurman Munson. And then as he became pro, uh, he showed the same things again. He just uh, you know, he played through injury. didn't complain if he had an injury he expected his teammates to play through their injuries he just was uh that type of guy and so that's what that's what drew drew me to Munson and by the way I would never been drawn to DiMaggio because he was before my time those five guys were my my (laughs) during my life
0: (laughs) that's good (laughs) and (laughs) Tom when you are there in the body cast, and and then you're in the wheelchair, and and all of that. What was it that drew you? What to to uh Thurman Munson?
5: He was always there. Always, his complete game percentage is the best in baseball history. For games that he caught, he has the highest complete game percentage of any catcher in baseball history, and he caught over twelve hundred games. So, I think the fact that he was always there and he would get hurt and you couldn't keep him down. You could not keep the man down. You could see the injury. You could see, you can see the pain, but you couldn't keep him down. That was incredible. That's incredible strength and athleticism. His athleticism, it's no wonder he was a shortstop because he moved behind the plate playing catcher like a shortstop the way he could bounce around back there he had quick feet he was fast quick release with the throw how about the way he would jump up out of that crouch and sprint back and on his knees slide and make that catch on a pop up other catchers could not get there to do that i mean he was he was exceptionally quick back there it's things like that the way he would feel the throw from the outfield and then dive in harm's way. he would just throw caution to the wind and right just dive into a runner. it you've seen so many replays, different photos of him more than other catchers. he he was incredible and it was you could tell it was a win at all costs you know I'm gonna and 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 if, if not win. I'm going to make this play. I'm making this play right here, right now. This is the only thing that matters. That's how he played. And he and he just carried him just so differently on the field. Confident, just confidence just oozed out of that man. I love the way he bantered with the players. You know, he was relaxed enough to be out there and, and enjoying the company of the others, the competition, the competitors. All of it. It just runs together. It's incredible. His hitting. I mean, this man had four straight seasons of 180-plus hits. 75 to 78. No catcher had ever done that. 73 hit a monster. it? played 140 OPS plus and 140 complete games caught. I think only him and Gary Carter are the only catchers to ever do that. Because the demand of that position 140 complete games to be able to sustain a 140 ops plus while being behind the plate that much is just incredible but yeah what drew me to him was just that everything i just said it was just uh he was different he was different than all the others and he proved it he drove himself right and the yankees right to the top
3: yeah you know, also, Tom is no slouch as a ball player himself. You know, Gary, you know, you're hearing all these stories, as Tom telling you, you know, we, we, we've we gone over his childhood uh, injuries, but also when he fell off the roof and broke his arm. And then broke he, goes, a lot more than, wait, he broke a lot more than his arm. See, that's true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Gary, you're hearing these stories, and then he goes to a tryout, a major league tryout tell us uh, what what are you what are you thinking he's, he's, he's going for a tryout
4: well I, I didn't really think about the injuries too much uh, with that because I'd already known that he was such a strong willed guy so uh, I, I was not surprised that he had recovered after those three years and succeeded and made all-star teams and was the best pitcher and all that I, you know as you get to know somebody, those things aren't surprises uh, when you, when you really get to the root of the person. So uh, I never really put it together that uh, the injury and, and and then to, to get to a tryout with the Yankees, I just know knew that it was no surprise because of the the character he is.
3: I mean, it just, you know, I, I can't believe all what, what you've gone through Tom and going with the tryout and then, Obviously didn't make it, but you know it, it's an accomplishment in it in it of itself to do that. I mean not many really people ha- have that opportunity
4: you go by, you, the way, I, by the way, I had when we were in Belmore Tom took me to the school and showed me the site of where he did take a head first dive into the pavement uh, so we got a, a a really good visual of that and that really made it even more impactful to, to, to wonder even how he survived. You know, let alone thrive after that. So, um, I just wanted to throw that in there. They got to see the site.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah, there's a plaque there saying Tom. Tom took a dive <laughs> here. <gonna> be.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's also a, a, a sad story, which uh, you know I, I'm going to bring up now. It's your your in laws, Tom. How how they persevered from that tragedy, and you, and you still make something. I guess something good come out of it, how have they inspired it uh, to to go on. Could you tell us about your relationship with with your in-laws?
5: Yeah, my wife's parents were everything to all. They were the rocks of the neighborhood. They were the rocks of the church, of our family. Larry was a veteran of uh, the Vietnam War. He was a Marine captain pilot. He was a gentle soul would do anything for you at a moment's notice. And he did for anybody loved his country loved his God and his family. He's a big reason why I was able to make it up here in upstate New York. I don't know. Could have made it up here without him. Suzette's mom, Brenda was an absolute angel. She would also, Do anything for you at a moment's notice. And she did. She was one of the most loving people that you could possibly be associated with. She made cookies for everybody and anybody. If you did something special and she thought special, she'd be there with a dozen chocolate chip cookies for you. Anybody, anybody in the neighborhood. The family at the church, they were just two incredibly beautiful people. Tragically, we lost them. We went to my son's conference championship in West Lawn, Pennsylvania, and they were to meet us there at the hotel, and then we were going to go over to the championship together to the field, and sadly, they never made it. They got into a horrific car accident and we lost them both. And it's because of who they are and what they instilled in us that we were able to carry on. That might have destroyed many people, that kind of heartbreak. But it's because of who they are, what they taught us in life. It's because of them and and our God that we're able to carry on because we know that They're in a higher place, and I have no doubt that I will one day be with them again. Yeah, yeah.
0: Tom, see, that's why when you read this, you need a box of tissues. You know, another thing that you talk about in the book is you are a bit of a daredevil. You're a huge Thurman Munson fan, and yet you were a pitcher and an infielder. Right. but not a catcher
5: what is going on i would have thought you would have been a catcher well i wasn't big enough to be a catcher that's true and the funny thing when i was finally healed and my doctor told me after three years he said uh, i went to walk out with my just like i did every every time this is 1972 i'm nine years old and three years of being laid up and he says uh leave those here those crutches you need those anymore wow i was ecstatic one of my best friends eddie short was with me and my mom had let him come that day knowing what we were going to uh, be receiving was a you're all better pass (laughs) um i said doctor can i play football and he said never play football i don't ever want to play football and I said, can I play baseball? And he said, play all the baseball you want. So that was music to my ears. So what did I do? I guess I played all the baseball. And uh, probably catcher was, maybe in my mind, catcher was a little bit too rugged back there for me. You know, that probably is what it was. Now, I will say, I love Ron Guidry. Guidry Guidry was my man, too, man. So, because I was a pitcher. And, uh, but just for the catcher, just, well, that just shows you how good Thurman was. He was the best. He was my favorite. He's grown to be my absolute favorite of all time. And that just shows you how good he was. He made me love a catcher above all others. (laughs) There's so many
0: things in the book that we could get into, which we're not going to have time for the baseball fans honor society. I'm not even I'm just telling everyone, if you're curious what that is, buy the book, read it. The last thing I want to ask you, Tom, before Jeff wraps up, is that who's going to play you in the movie?
5: Uh, (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) You know, pinch myself. That would be terrific because you know what? I don't know who's going to play me, but that would just bring more light to this man. And he deserves it. Because I never did this for anything other than Thurman Munson, and amazing wife and family of his. Diana, the beautiful Diana, Yankee royalty to me. They deserve it. That's why we did this. And I thought tonight I had my statistics here and I had a bunch of stuff I was going to talk about. Because really that that's what it's about. It's about Thurman. So thank you guys so much. I'm humbled by all of it. Gary, yeah, we- my my good friend, and you guys here tonight. Us, oh. uh, I'm very blessed and very, very happy, and thankful for all of it.
3: I, I know who's going to play you in the movie, and that's obviously going to be Dwyer Brown. Um, <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote the photo to the book, which is called "Go the Distance"? It's good. Uh, it's great book. Pick it up any way you can. If, if we're at your bookstore, Amazon is always a place to go if you don't. If but if you don't want to go to uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, amazon empire go try your local bookstore i do want to ask gary something if you don't mind tom about uh, the cleon jones book since we had cleon jones on just a a couple of weeks ago if you don't mind oh please gary cleon jones one of our heroes sorry tom we're met fans
5: i' like that I'm anything wrong efficiency. with that right I'm a Thurman
0: <laughs> Munson fan
5: also oh, am, so am i so am i I'm, I'm, a, you, I'm nice. a cleon fan too go guys go I love it <laughs> uh so gary we've talked a
3: lot uh, to cleon we would like to talk to him long and we didn't get to the part where he talked about the the ship that was called and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong I know the Cotil- cotilia cotilda,
4: cotilda. Uh-huh.
3: could you tell us uh, in your speaking to cleon about that that ship, and what it meant to him and, and how it would affect the uh, Africatown down in uh, where he lives.
4: Well, I'm really familiar with the Clotilda because I wrote a book years ago called Lifestone about a slave who escapes at the end of the Civil War and reestablishes herself in the post-Civil War North. And she came over on the Clotilda. So I had studied that uh, ship. And so I had that in common with Cleon when I first met and talked with him. Uh, but that was the last slave ship that came over. In the in the mid 1860s, illegal, the, the ship was burned deliberately in Mobile Bay because they, uh, the the ship owner didn't want any evidence of it being um, found. So the 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 slaves that came over they they stayed there and and they re, and they called the place Africa Town. So a lot of the uh, their aunt, uh, descendants are still there. So uh, Cleon became very interested in that story as a kid. You know, Mama Mertz, you guys talked about her and uh, his other people that were in charge of him. He really listened and studied and understood that. And uh, it mattered to him that, um, that the Clotilde was a big deal. The Clotilde was found about two years ago uh, in Mobile Bay. Just a, a little segue here. This is how he met Cleon. With, uh, I, I saw in the news when he was going out uh, on this boat to the site of the and I thought to myself, why is Cleon Jones part of this search party for this boat? And th- th- this is how we came together. So he's um, he's very uh, he's a historical guy. Um, he, 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 all that matters to him. So that's the uh, story of the tilde.
3: Yeah, it, it was a fascinating story. I know they wanted to raise it. He was uh, against that. Uh, leave it where it is and yeah. for historical significance. Uh, I yeah, guess they're going to build profit for- on it.
4: They might build uh, around it uh, and have some kind of tour. So they're, it's all up in the air right now.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we thank you for for joining us. Thank you for writing the Cleon Jones book with him. Thank you, Tom. This has been a fascinating conversation. You know what? I, I should plug that you wrote a, an analysis called "The Thurman Munson's Decade of Unmatched Excellence," which I read, okay. which I, read, I did read. Uh, it's found on Munson, H-O-F.com. So that's the Thurman Munson Hall of Fame site. I did, and I also did sign the petition. So Back you got you me. got another one there. And it really, th- it really does point out, I mean, unfortunately, you know, he, he died an early death, but he was such a great catcher of his time. And, you know, obviously would have been a, a shoo-in Hall of Fame candidate if his career wasn't so short if we have a few more minutes if you want to talk about that paper that you wrote that that'd be fantastic
5: oh well i i wrote this with a fellow named chris han we met online um he saw some of my work he reached out to me and we got together and uh brainstormed and and just did research you know we we burned the midnight oil as they say and put our, put our together and created this wonderful thing on Thurman that just shows how incredible he was. I mean, 10 years is the Hall of Fame requirement. Well, he has 10 years. You know, if Thurman had six or seven years, even if they were like, when Trout had his first six or seven, it was like, this guy's amazing. Well, yeah, you can be amazing in that amount of time. Thurman was amazing. He had a 10-year career. That's the requirement. And his 10 years stand out. You can't. There's only six guys are better than Thurman's 10 years of war for his 10-year period of war. There's only six men that stand ahead of him. And they're all Hall of Famers. It's Gary Carter, Johnny Bench, Mike Piazza, Ivan Rodriguez, Yogi Berra, Mickey Cochran, and then Thurman Munson for 10 years. His war score of 45.6 for 10 years is seventh all time. So for a catcher, what do you want? Does every catcher have to play 15, 20 year? I mean, you know, not really. And you're not going to. Most catchers aren't going to. The impact that he had, let's not forget in 10 years, he caught over 1,200 games. He more than proved himself. We can go on, right? Rookie of the year, most valuable player, uh, seven time All Star, three gold gloves, 357 lifetime postseason batting average. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah. He did it all.
3: Well, we, Len and I, believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Of course, we have. No votes, no influence, but he has our support. Not yet. (laughs) He has our support. (laughs) And uh, we thank you guys for for coming on Baseball and BBQ.
5: Bless you, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. So
4: much fun. Thank you.
3: Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Music's podcast. And if you want a lip-smacking, finger-licking good podcast, then you got to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Lennon Jeff.
0: They have the best guests and the best recipes on
3: all the internet. Check it out. Baseball and BBQ. Hey, Len. Tom yeah. Tunison has a story to tell.
0: Yes, he does.
3: Of all, Everything that he went through, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And such positivity out of this guy.
0: You know, Jeff, as we're recording this, and, you know, I'm a little under the weather. You can obviously hear it in my voice. But when you hear what he went through, it's like, come on, Len. What, what, what do you have? A head cold? Get, get, Suck come it up. up. <laughs> he had freaking purses. And he fell <laughs> off a roof. Yeah. Suck it up. <laughs> you know what? Let me tell everybody that they should go to baseballbbq.com for their incredible grilling tools, accessories, shirts, hats. Let me just let everybody know that we will have Brett Mandel from BaseballBBQ.com on a future episode to talk about the developments of the company. And wow, they have really come a long way. And of course, the Pandemic Baseball Book Club, where we have featured many of the authors from that club called club, whatever, on our show. So if you go to Pandemic Baseball Book Club, you'll find some great things there as well.
3: You know, Len, I I was gonna prepared for a a rant this week. But then really? I yeah, I was. I was gonna really go off on a baseball hall of fame and their announcement of the eight-player contemporary baseball era committee ballot where they had on Eight players, Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, Rafael Palmeiro, and Kirk Chilling. And I was going to go off on that and go, where is Keith Hernandez? And he's, you know, the greatest first baseman, changed the game, and I was going to go off on a big rant and riff on, on this ballot. And you would have made
0: somebody people that love your rants I say somebody but you would have made a lot of people happy a lot of people love your rants so are you saying you're not
3: i'm not you know why why because subsequent to that i found out that this ballot only has players whose careers started 1980 or later so keith hernandez's career started in the 70s so he Uh is not eligible for this ballot i was getting myself all worked up and crazed on this tech but the technicality so hopefully who will pay who appear on another belt but he is not eligible for this one
0: jeff you know what i would love to have somebody on who would actually tell us how these committees are formed how they decide like this year they're doing that have they done that in the past i i don't know but it just seems It seems kind of uh, arbitrary, like, oh, this year we're going to do players whose career started 1980 and later for who didn't get in, you know. So
3: of those eight, and they need the committee is made up of 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 executives, Hall of Fame players, and I guess some writers. I I don't know who they are, but you need twelve of sixteen votes Mm -hmm. of those eight players. Who do you think belongs? I moment. knew you
0: were going to ask me that, so repeat repeat the list again, please.
3: Albert Bell. Yes. Barry Bonds. Roger Clemens. Don Mattingly. Fred McGriff. Dale Murphy. Rafael Palmero, Kurt Schilling.
0: Okay. I am not, at least not at this point, I am not putting in Bonds, and I am not putting in Clemens.
3: Oh, that, means, dip- that means you're not putting in Palmero either
0: exactly okay yes and you can everyone could give their opinion hope they do jeff how would they contact the show to give their opinion on that,
3: oh, that, that what a what a segue <laughs>
0: that's that's why i'm a professional
3: jeff give us a call at 516-855-8214 email us bbq at gmail.com comment on our facebook page baseball and bbq we have a twitter tweet 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 at baseball bbq. Instagram, baseball and barbecue, and barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe.
0: That was great. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Mattingly, I would put in. Okay. Okay. You said Bell?
3: Yep.
0: Yeah. I would put him in. Okay. Okay. And I would put McGriffin because okay. he he was on the list right yes okay i'm trying didn't write it down but who who did you say was uh repeat it one more time because i want to just make sure that i got everybody i would put
3: albert bell okay roger clemens barry bonds di mattingly mcgriff murphy palmero and shilling
0: i would put Schilling. okay mm-hmm. uh i'm not gonna let off the well yeah i would put Schilling. Okay, Chilling came extremely close to getting in as it is. I would put Bell. I would put Mattingly. I would put McGriff. But I probably can't put all these guys probably
3: in. Not. <laughs> probably <laughs> I not. Mean.
0: Probably not. And there was somebody else that I would have put in. But I'm not going to make you repeat the list again. Oh, Murphy. I mean, I know he had back-to-back MVPs. I don't think so, though. I would not put him. And, Jeff, who would you put
3: you know, I've always advocated for Fred McGriff,
0: the crime dog. right, the crime dog. Yes. So
3: it's, I would, I would, he he would be my slam dunk out of this ballot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Right. Okay. What about the rest of them? Is McGriff the only one you'd put in?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I think. Well, Schilling is definitely. Uh, I think he's a big game pitcher but I don't know if he's going to get in because of his politics, you know, that, right. That, I answered what that should, but that should do it. Anything. But, uh, and I, you know what? I think Don Manningley was a fantastic player. I just can't put him in without, without Keith Hernandez. I mean, I think they got to go together.
0: So you're going to wait till there's a ballot when they do the first baseman. Yes. The last <laughs> whatever years that haven't gotten in instead exactly. of just by, by, by decades. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I would put Mattingly in and, you know, take the abuse as a Met fan that I think Hernandez will get in eventually, yeah. you know. But yeah, McGriff, McGriff I definitely put put too. Yeah, so.
3: Okay, so then right, who, who, who do we have next?
0: So no rant, that's what we're saying.
3: Well, no, no rant. rant. I mean, I had the rant. Okay. I, I was going to do the rant. Yeah. And I then know. the rant became obsolete.
0: Uh, yeah, okay, well. All right, so we have the father-son combination of Spencer and Andy, Mantis, mantisbbq.com. Baseball and barbecue fans, when you think of barbecue, what comes to mind? Well, you think beef, pork, chicken, turkey, lamb, even some vegetables, the occasional corn on the cob, (laughs) and maybe a few others. But you don't think praying
2: mantis.
0: (laughs) Well, our next guests are going to change that because we have with us a father-son duo that is going to take or may have already taken, we will find out, the barbecue world, barbecue sauce world by storm. We are joined by Spencer Mantis. And Andy Mantis will let you figure out who's the dad and who's the son. But they are the team and they are from Mantis BBQ. They've got a sauce. They've got a couple of sauces. a few sauces we'll, we'll talk about. And also a great cause that proceeds from sales from part of the sales of the sauce go towards. So. Without further ado, let's bring them on because I think you're really going to enjoy it. Spencer, Andy, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue. Thank you for having
6: us. Yeah, thanks, Len. Thanks, Jeff. Thrilled to be here.
0: Welcome. So, Jeff started off because you know I talk too much anyway. So,
3: yes, you do. So, uh, guys, how did you come up with the logo?
0: All right. You
6: know, it It took a lot of research and development, but right. somehow <laughs> with the name Mantis, the praying Mantis at the grill just emerged as the winner.
0: It's great. You you got to go to Mantis. It's M-A-N-T-I-S-B-B-Q dot com because you'll see the sauces, but you'll also see they've got some shirts to have hats And, and it's really, it's really great with, with the, with the praying mantis. I I love it. I think it's, it's quite creative. It it really is.
3: A lot of marker research there. (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely.
2: (laughs) But uh, the
1: credit for the actual design goes to my dad. He's the one who actually drew out the mantis. So that was his creation. We had a whole brainstorm session. We threw out different ideas and he started sketching. As you said, very eye-catching. Yes. So the first thing we noticed was, it was A eye-catching and B, you won't see anything else like that on most other bottles.
0: <laughs> so Spencer, you who just spoke, you are the son. Andy, you are the father. Hopefully, you guys guessed that. But if you didn't, you, <laughs> I, I gave it away. Now take us back. There's there's two parts to this, right? You've got the sauce which you came up with and as probably many people that that barbecue, they'll have a they'll make something and somebody will say, oh, you know, you guys should sell this. But you sell it and then you donate part of the proceeds, 10 percent of the proceeds to a very uh, worthy cause. So first, take us to the sauce portion. How would that come about?
6: Sure. I guess, Vince, I'll start this off and you know, way back, I went to Emory in Atlanta and I played on the tennis team and would take rides to local matches with one of the upperclassmen who insisted on stopping at for barbecue, often before matches when you're 18, not a problem, right? You know, now a little different. So started, um, you know, got barbecue in the blood, started cooking, started tinkering with sauces. Before You Know It, whereas it's sort of that archetypical uh, family where they go, man, you should sell that stuff, right? But, you know, life's busy. You're doing other things. We almost manufactured it once, got busy with other things. Fast forward to literally just before COVID, and Spencer can explain what happened, but it was the sort of a personal challenge turned into the impetus to market the barbecue sauce. Spence, why don't you uh, pick it up?
1: Yeah. So I'll rewind just a tiny bit further. So 2016 was when I became sick. I had a few symptoms. I went to the doctors. They weren't sure what it was. Um, They tried treating me for various things. And then one symptom tipped them off that, oh, this could be kidney related. So they started looking into that. And I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease where my immune system was attacking both of my kidneys. So I went through various treatments over, you know, over a year, probably closer to two years. Um, Some were promising than others, but due to the nature of a lot of the treatments, they couldn't keep going. In the long run, it was all for naught. So I eventually ended up on dialysis for just under a year. And then finally, was able to have a kidney transplant in 2019, thanks to my uncle who graciously donated me his kidney after being a perfect match.
6: Yeah. So we said to ourselves, you know, when you go through this experience, you learn that you're kind of the tip of the iceberg. It's, you know, sort of, it's a personal tragedy or feel feels such at the time, but you learn what everyone else is going through and you learn about all the challenges in the system. We learned a couple of things. One, we learned that an artificial kidney is actually something that's very far along in research and not that far from human trials, but awareness is low. We learned that, you know, not just Spencer, who, you know, is doing great now, as is his uncle, but many continue to suffer, right? So when you have the opportunity to actually have a shot at solving one of these problems with an artificial kidney, we said, what can we do to help? And we combined, we said, okay, let's combine the love of barbecue, family experiences with awareness and funding for a good cause. And hopefully it's a win-win all around. Hence, Mantis Barbecue, our little slogan is Barbecue Sauce to Save Lives. And we give 10% of sales, not profits, because we are small and a startup, to something called The Kidney Project, which again, along it's out of uh, University of California, San Francisco. They work in conjunction with Vanderbilt and some other institutions, and they're pushing forward with the artificial kidney. So that's in a nutshell how we combined love of food and barbecue with trying to uh, help a really good cause.
3: Absolutely. And I have to relate a story to you, as this kidney research is very close to my heart, as I lost my dad to kidney disease. He was only 25 years old, I was four. This was back in 1966. So what you're doing to provide funding for research is really, really terrific.
1: Well, That was one of the things we saw, uh, not only from when I was sick, but being involved with the kidney project ever since is Kidney disease and other diseases like what I had that affect can affect the kidneys are incredibly widespread. Yeah, and it affects so many people, and there is no permanent solution for most of them at this time. There are ways to ease it. There are ways for like I have a transplant, but my autoimmune disease is not treatable, so it will never go away. So there really needs to be this long term solution. And throughout experiencing this, I'm really happy that we're able to find one that we could get behind. That was so far along in the process already. Yeah, I mean, even so, we can help to,
3: more people.
6: Yeah, you take baseballs. I think Ed Hearn, I think, is um, waiting mm-hmm.
1: for a kidney
6: transplant. Yeah.
3: Another one. Ed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, get
1: get Nobody's Ed immune. Heard. I mean, my nephrologist. You yeah. go look at his wall. There are professional yeah. athletes that he's treated. There are politicians. Yeah, you know, there. No one is immune from this.
0: Now, you mentioned Ed Hearn because I actually was Jeff and I had talked about that when when initially we uh, were getting you guys on Ed Hearn's been on our show. And as a matter of fact, Jeff has a, a kind of a little special relationship with Ed Hearn. Jeff went to Mets fantasy camp last year Oh wow. and cool. Ed Hearn was supposed to be a, uh, a coach there. But because of he was sick, wasn't able to go. And Jeff wore number forty nine in his honor. Yep, um, see. we had him on the show. He's he just a, he, a beautiful person before we did the interview with him. I, I was just doing some pre pre interview with him, which isn't something we normally do, but we mm. did. And he was showing my wife, he was taking his zoom or whatever, all throughout his house and saying, do you like this deal? Like? And my wife was looking cause he has gardens or whatever. And she was looking and it was just, he's just a really nice guy. And when we initially ha- were going to have you guys on, I said to Jeff, you know, we will be we should have Ed on with us. Unfortunately, Ed is very sick right mm-hmm. now. He's had three failed kidney transplants. Mm-hmm. Apparently he's in stage five with uh, the need for kidney. And it's just, I hope mm-hmm. that a donor does come through and that he'll be okay. Uh, we also had Ed Cranepool on who sure. thankfully- did receive a uh, a transplant, yep. and he's doing very well. So, and this is just obviously those are athletes and people that we've had on, and you, you know about. But this is something that just happens more than than we'd like to. You know, it just happens a lot, right? So, I mean, I saw on your website you said something about there was over a hundred thousand Americans are waiting for a kidney mm-hmm. transplant, and just over 20,000 were performed. Yes. It.
6: And um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's really heartbreaking. And at the same time, science is closing in on being able to solve it. But kind of going back to our point of view, anything we can do to speed up potential solution is uh, where we're at and to do it, we like to think the sauce is also like if we were just doing it and the sauce was not particularly good, that would uh, be hey that would be noble. But fortunately, it's uh, I think a uh, it, it's somewhat of a unique sauce in that it's very well balanced. It's sort of in between a Texas and a North Carolina. It's got you know sort of the Texas ketchup and balance. But not sweet, no molasses, and not thick. That's the big
1: thing that separates us from a lot of the ones in the grocery store that you might pick up is we're not going most of them are very sweet. Yeah. And that's not what we were going for as all. We were at all. We were going more more complex flavor than just a sweet barbecue sauce. Yeah.
6: Spencer is the person who can actually do more complex recipes, and he's done the balance for. We've actually so we've got a base, and then we have one with uh, what we call a um, whisper of chili, where we've added goju garu and goju jean in, some Korean peppers, which kind of kicks it up a little. And then we have one uh, haunt of ghost, which has some uh, habanero cayenne and ghost pepper. But, Spence, like, what's the positioning of that one?
1: So the way I always describe that one is... It's really not overly hot, so it's perfect if you want to seem tougher than you are and be like, oh, yeah, I had barbecue sauce with the ghost pepper, guys, and you'll be perfectly okay. You know, you're know, you not going to sweat profusely. Your tongue's not going to go numb mm-hmm. on you. So it'll taste good. It will have a little kick to it, but uh, your average consumer will be able to handle it and feel pretty tough in the process.
3: You know, <laughs> one, one of the things I have noticed in the bottle I'm holding, you're right, it's not thick. I mean, yeah. most bar- barbecue sauces are thick. It takes a while to come out of the bottle. But this uh, is very, very, uh, I guess, yeah. thin, in I guess. In response to
1: that, we are currently developing, and I'll let my dad speak more to it, a, a barbecue glaze. So Ooh. that will be much thicker. What Sounds happened good.
6: is we're mainly direct-to-consumer on the website, but a couple of places out on Long Island sell it. And one, which is uh, it's called Silly Lily Fishing Station in East Moriches. So they do a food service, and it's summertime. They rent boats and stuff. One of the owners was putting the Haunt of Ghosts on was ice cream. He
2: basically of started
6: it. putting
1: on everything he could.
6: Yeah. Mm. So we said, okay, if you're going to do that. We then started doing, developing a version where we've reduced it, thickened it a little bit, and it's a barbecue glaze that you can Throw it on some ribs, or you can throw it on ice cream.
1: <laughs> Honestly, the uh, spicy with the cold is a really nice combination.
0: Yeah, the two things is one: we would we will definitely uh, promote your sauce on the show, even if it was junk. The <laughs> cause is important. The added benefit is that it's a good sauce. So, but we will definitely do that. Second, we we kind of know some people in the sauce business. Ah. If you guys ever uh, need any pointers or they may need pointers from you. I don't know, but they will definitely, you know, share their, their ideas or whatever, if ever you needed that. But I have a feeling that you guys are doing quite well. Let let me ask you this. How how is the sauce business going?
6: Um, This was our startup year and we're new to the food industry. So, not new to running businesses, but new to food. So mm-hmm. we wanted to get it right and um, learn production consistency. So it's going great. We, I can say we've pretty much nailed uh, the basics and being able to turn out a consistent and good product. And it is made locally
1: in Long Island
5: by in us. In
6: Amityville, we, yeah, we do make
1: it in Amityville. Oh, it's made on Long Island. Okay. Yep. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, all done by my family. So there's a, it's yeah. always someone in my family making it. Yeah, mm-hmm.
6: yep. true family business. And, yeah, at this point, the direct and consumer off the website has been going great. We're also at the um, Welcome to Long Island Food Center uh, on the LIE and So Lilly. OK, And. We are getting ready for this spring. We've, um, we're have we participating in the Specialty Food Association Winter Trade Show, and we're gearing up for our retailers this spring.
1: As well as we have a pop-up in the future at JFK Terminal 4. Uh, what was sure. the date of that one? Do you know off uh, the top of your head? In, uh, just before Christmas. <laughs> so yeah. we'll actually be at JFK Terminal Christmas. 4 yeah. a day.
0: Oh, all right fantastic yeah and then uh eventually shark tank you know <laughs> Maybe
1: <laughs> depending on how we want to grow and uh, where we see ourselves you never know
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah
6: but for us you know look you know we've got urgency but again we want to do it well and you know make sure we have a um a business that can hopefully grow quickly but but with purpose. You know, again, I think that's uh, the best way to do it, support the business, support the cause. And frankly, part of um, what we're really happy about is the awareness aspect. When we look at things like people who have searched online for Mantis Barbecue, we can see the other common searches are now tying into the Kidney Project, right? And again, that's Hey, other than selling a lot of sauce, those are the things that you know are gratifying we we sure.
1: can't put a dollar sign on necessarily, yeah. but are important to us yeah yeah sure. we hold high with our values as a company and as people
0: yeah, so the kidney project at the University of California San francisco is now I'm just referring to what you have on your website yeah. and and actually then you have links to more information on the Kidney Project, YouTube videos, and it's fascinating. It's led by the bioengineer Shuvo Roy, PhD. Have you actually met with Shuvo?
6: We've spoken to him on the phone,
0: and we speak
6: regularly with his head of marketing. We do have a formal, it's not informal, we have a formal relationship with them. And, you know, so it's a... Formal collaboration. We look for joint marketing, and what we found—and I I don't think Shuvo or his team would um, mind me saying so—you know, they're great at research. They're great engineers, but they're not marketers, and they're they're uh, academics. Right, raising awareness is something that they need help with. So, even beyond Mantis Barbecue. The Kidney Project formed a volunteer marketing committee, which we're also part of because they recognize the best way for them to succeed is to get others with expertise in marketing and in other fields to help amplify
1: their message. That And as they explained to us, COVID actually slowed down their outreach, slowed down their funding as well. And it kind of knocked them a little bit, not, I don't, I can't speak for them, but it definitely had an effect. So yeah, there's so ground to be made up as well. Sure. Yeah.
6: But it is, you know, when you, you know, it is, I, I think it's amazing that the science can create something smaller than a coffee cup that is friendly to your body when implanted. Mm-hmm. And it runs it, on your
1: own blood pressure. Right, so you, right. you don't, you don't need a lot of the medications if it, you know anymore. You don't need
2: yeah.
1: a donor anymore, and we already spoke about the size of the list versus the people who are need who need kidneys. Yeah. And it really is the closest thing, and arguably closest thing to a permanent solution, if not a permanent solution.
6: Other thing that we've learned, you know, just talking about you know the value is the. Not the millions, but the billions of dollars that Medicare spends in things like dialysis and you know helping offset cost of drugs for all temporary people, fixes. right? You know, um, with kidney failure. And relatively small amount, you, know, if this goes you know, compared to billions, this does succeed, saves the medical system, not only people, but the system a ton of money which then hopefully can go into curing other diseases. Exactly. So yeah, it's a win win, but unfortunately the way our systems are always set up, it's not always it sounds easy when we're talking <laughs> on a podcast, but exactly. it's not always that easy. Especially get.
1: here, obviously they're an academic institution as well as we're dealing with something in the medical field. So yeah. it, it can get a little complicated, but they know what they're doing so well that it makes it really easy for us to work with them.
3: Yeah and you know what i heard i heard that uh andy does something very well and that's he's the quite the pit master now leonard have you known what andy can do on on a pits no but i would like to know what can what we could make a like a what can andy
0: do what can he do i'll let him speak for himself you
6: name it you can smoke it right
0: (laughs) so andy i mean i know from you know i i went on your site And I know there was a story written about uh, actually, I think it was before your sauce came out, but it was talking about you guys and it mentioned some of the pits that you have. And I know you are quite the, quite the pit master or definitely have the equipment to be one. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're cooking on, what you like to cook and what what we can expect when we come over for dinner. And I can keep them honest. Yeah.
6: And, um, So the, um, the large pit is um, a Johnson smoker out of Texas. It's a, about a thousand pound offset smoker reverse flow with a um, vertical stack on the side. So if you want to have um, a little bit lower temp to either do cheese or keep things warm, some sausage, that's great. And then I also have um, two backwood smoker chubbies which are good if you, you know if you're only feeding like maybe 10 or 15 people you know those are great
0: <laughs> a small <laughs> and, group
6: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, again, <laughs> yeah and you know again i think those are wonderful they look like
1: safes They're yeah a but rock it's rock a wonderful like essentially like a, like a safe in your backyard you know?
6: they will johnson you got to keep throwing the logs in right that that thing will go through wood it eats wood the backwood smokers Don't need a lot of wood and it'll hold the temperature for a few hours. I mean, it's
1: uh, in fact, this past weekend, uh, he was smoking a brisket and some bologna and I'll let him talk on what he likes to smoke, but I know he was having trouble. The temperature is running even a little bit high on it.
6: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think as you guys know, a lot of um, success in, in barbecue and smoked foods is pit management and temperature control. Right. Yep. Right. And to go along with that, I do tend to prefer the uh, Thermalworks probes and wireless uh, go to the app so you can monitor your pit from just about anywhere. It's oh, yeah. Those are terrific. And Spencer mentioned, you know, like you can put anything on a smoker. But one of the things like if you're having a party and, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so my barbecue tastes good compared to New Yorkers, if I was in Texas, I'm sure I would be fine, but, you know, right, different level, Um, but um, something like, and you know, I found this through, over the years through work, I've traveled a lot, and Pean's Barbecue in, I think it's Memphis, it's a former filling station, I hope it's still there, but I first tried smoked bologna, right, And what you do is you can take, there are different ways you can do smoked bologna, but I take chunks, probably about four-inch chunks, about two-and-a-half hours on the smoker, anywhere between
1: 225 to 275, you know, baloney. When he says four-inch chunks, he means that's the width of them, so it's like the whole end of the bologna in about a four-inch tall chunk, not four-inch pieces, about just... Right,
6: and... Don't score it. A lot of people will score their bologna. You just put it in, let it go. And it sort of forms a crust from the smoke around it and it will expand. And then slice it up into chunks, serve it with some, let's say, mustard, spicy mustard. We do a lot of horseradish mustard.
2: Yep. Uh Um,
6: Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Don't tell people what it is and they kind of think they're eating pate or something and
1: it's so bologna. Pretty much all of my friends, uh, cause I, we even had some on my birthday this year when I had a bunch of friends over and of course we wanted to barbecue some things and have some sauce. And I tell them, even when, if I tell them what it is, they're so
0: almost confused and then they eat it and they're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Cause they're expecting, they're expecting, you know, I, well, bologna sandwich. Right. And uh, yeah, white exactly. Bread. Exactly. That Yes.
6: <laughs> now, if you do want to do the sandwich with it, you take it in about oh, like half inch, slice it about half inch, then put a little bit of mustard on the bottom of the sandwich, the bologna throw some coleslaw on it, add barbecue sauce, top layer of bread. Mm-hmm. That's a bologna sandwich.
1: In. You have a nice uh heavy and delicious sandwich. Yes. But so the others, you
6: know, we um love doing beef ribs. It's like, compared to brisket, it's easy. It's uh, kind of mm-hmm. hard to mess up a beef rib. Brisket, we do believe, or I definitely believe, in doing the pusher uh, paper wrap, you know, sometime after you're hitting, sometime between 165 and 180 degrees through your smoke. Baby backs, uh, we do baby backs many ways. And actually, when we are talking about barbecue glaze, two-thirds through a cook on some ribs. We'll put on a little bit of barbecue glaze and then mix it in with something like a habanero jam. Little thin coat of that, a little bit of sauce, and then you wrap your ribs for the last hour. That's a nice glaze. And it's just go on and on. You know, we'll uh, cook just about anything on the smoker. And, and
3: like Thanksgiving's you coming
6: up. The turkeys will be on the smoker.
3: You know, you yeah, should uh nice. it uh the mantis big b- book of barbecue should write one of those
1: he's had a cookbook uh in production or in being written now for uh quite a while yeah, there was a sample yeah. on the website of <laughs> yes, recipes, a, recipes yeah. at one point but i'm not sure if they're still up there
0: that's where yeah, jeff the, was going because on your went. website it does say that there's it's coming soon yeah but soon oh. when
6: <laughs> well, what we what I what I realized is when it started putting recipes together for a book, at some point the internet content took over everything. And the idea of actually selling a book like, well, I don't think so. We're just putting all the recipes up on the website along with videos and just let at it, you know. Mm-hmm. Recipes will keep coming on the website though, whether it's in book video or
1: other mm-hmm. book- that's that's our blog. Our blog currently is a lot of uh, me filming him cooking various uh, recipes. I was
3: going to ask who, who's responsible for upkeeping the mantis family blog, and I guess that's you, Spencer.
1: That would be me. <laughs> uh, I was a uh, tech information management and technology major undergraduate. I'm a cybersecurity studying cybersecurity for grad school at NYU, okay. so I handle okay. most. Oh,
0: technical. Jeff, you and you, do you guys have something in common because yeah. Jeff works in cybersecurity.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I actually just started at NYU for my master's. For oh, very August nice. And in
3: School of Engineering. Well, we'll talk after the podcast.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> good. We'll you know, a couple, couple of
0: weeks ago, I made um, every year around St. Paddy's Day, you know, we buy a couple of uh, corned beefs. Sure. And I had one in the freezer for a while. I made uh, I made pastrami. Nice. And it's, it's very interesting how sometimes mistakes or what you think's a mistake turns out well because i put the pastrami on you know i did i did so i used meathead's recipe he has uh do you guys know amazingribs.com yep. Yep. okay yep. so he has pastrami that he you know says is as close to cats as as mm. possible all right and so
1: hopefully for less money <laughs> right
0: <laughs> so i followed his method and I had a lot to do that day. So I kind of instead of tending to the um to the meat, I just kinda went, did my thing and let it on there. In on his on his uh his recipe says at about 160, he does the Texas crutch, you know, he wraps it in uh foil to get it up to the 203. Yep. So I because it to get it past the stall, I left it on there and did the errands and when i came back it was at about 190 about 190 so it it, it passed the stall yeah mm-hmm. now part of his recipe is that when it's done he puts it uh, in in a steamer so it and and then you know and then serves it what i did was i wrapped it in foil thinking i'll do the last 10 degrees or whatever you wanted it about 203 I wrap it in foil and when I took it off and I let it rest, I didn't need to do that last step of putting it in the steamer. Right. Save the mess. Steamed, steamed itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Great. and that was not, it wasn't intentional. It was just, it was accidental, but it, it kind it worked of worked out.
6: out. Yeah. Huh. But You guys have had so many pit masters on the podcast. Have you got a consensus on the done temperature for brisket?
0: Wow, <laughs> Jeff. Jeff, what's the done temperature for brisket, Jeff? <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the consensus I, I I'm I believe it's about two oh three. Yeah, about
3: two hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But you're right. We we've had on uh, quite the number of uh, uh, pitmasters. Of course, our guest co-host we uh, is Doug Shiding, and he is out of Texas, and he will he will tell you anything you want to know about brisket. And even what you don't want to know, he will tell you yeah. he's yeah. amazing with, with, with cooking. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think about two Oh three is probably the consensus. I mean, where, what do you bring your uh, brisket? What, what do you cook it at? Uh,
6: this weekend, the brisket we did, um, I took it off. Part of it was a two Oh three part was around two Oh one when I probed. So I took it off and put it in the cooler for an hour wrapped up and yeah, worked well. I'm, anywhere i find anywhere in the low 200s you know give or take couple degrees
1: works it tastes good i can vouch for
0: that <laughs> <laughs> well i mean listen you're both apparently at least what i'm seeing is you're both uh the, the barbecue uh aficionados right oh yeah
1: yeah I, I would say i uh i bring some more traditional cooking to the barbecue well, he is more barbecue focused, has always been into barbecue, never got really into cooking. Uh, when I got sick originally, I had such a restricted diet that I couldn't eat anywhere. So I started cooking myself and I got really into cooking. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of the time, you know, learning really getting down basic knife skills and basic cooking skills. And that's what, at least when it comes to barbecue, to kind of complement what he already knows and all of his experience, that's what I try to bring there.
6: Well, and then hence, Spence, that's why the new flavor, you know, off past the original sauce, the added flavors, you've been able to do it because you actually know how
1: to balance. Yeah, pre- there are tweaks of ideas I've had for flavors i wanted to try from various books I've read where, oh, this flavor should complement this. <laughs>
0: uh, so, yeah, definitely, definitely helps. <laughs> Spencer, how are you feeling now? You feel good? Uh,
1: good these days. Yeah. Good. So yeah it's been a few years since the transplant twenty nineteen and I will say the first year was a little rough as you know transplants not easy on the body. It came out what was crazy about ninety two pounds ninety three pounds which was you know I haven't weighed that since middle school but at this point, things feel pretty normal like I said, I'm in graduate school working on mantis barbecue here on the podcast
5: excellent.
0: A lot excellent of fun. and and andy as as a father who I've had uh you know I had a a, a child that had a something medically that you know that they had to have done and i can just i can feel what you must have gone through during this so this is um but you guys have appeared it's it's great that you're channeling everything into this into this yeah. us, into this company it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing i, I really think it's terrific
6: greatly appreciate it and you know and you know, when you go through things like Spencer has, the whole family rallies round, and we and Spence were fortunate compared to so many. His sister volunteered. One of his sister's friends volunteered. They rejected me <laughs> as a volunteer, uh, but clearly not everyone has the options spencer had so um we're, we're incredibly mm-hmm. thankful and yelling yeah, you know it was uh it was rough but um
1: but we, we also want to bring what i had to other people but yeah. so much more than i had as we're doing so
3: well I, it's just it's I, great you're uh, you're bringing awareness through your source with the donation to the kidney uh project really appreciative of that
0: and I want to just before Jeff raps, because Jeff's the rapper, <laughs> but I want to just read something that you have on. I think this was in, in the article or I, I saw this on your uh, on your website. Andy, you said this. You said BBQ, Mantis BBQ, Mantis Barbecue is mission driven. As you savor the spicy sweetness of Mantis Barbecue sauce, know that you'll be sweetening the odds not only for our son, but also for so many others in need of a kidney. That's that's beautiful.
3: Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh before we go, do you have any social media you'd like to promote? Uh get the word out. And I see on your on the website you do have a phone number. So you know, go ahead, take the time to promote your uh your social media. Plug away.
1: Spencer, go sure. for it. Sure. So you can visit us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They're all Mantis underscore BBQ. Check out our website, mantisbarbecue.com. You can reach us there. Um, I receive every message personally, so I will see that. Check out our blog. It has tons of recipes. And I would say look out on the future for our glaze. Uh, We're working on a kosher version of the sauce potentially or working on a low sodium so more people who are in my position can enjoy the sauce and
3: barbecue in the future.
1: So a lot of cool things on the horizon. And yeah, stay, uh, stay pinned to the site for that.
3: Well, we wish you all the best. Definitely uh, being close to uh, kidney research, I know I will be frequently buying your your uh, source through the website. So, uh, you know, I hope that a cure or the artificial kidney comes sooner than later. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, on Thank uh, you. one nice. more thing
1: JFK terminal four look for the pop-ups we'll be one of them
3: <laughs> yeah okay. let us know
0: yeah let us know when that uh when you'll be popping up and we could we, sure. we will definitely promote that you guys you always have a window here a, a window I don't know invitation whatever <laughs> open invitation to promote your products thank
3: thanks. you so much
0: it's hugely appreciated
3: thanks. <laughs> And we want to thank Andy and Spencer for their time and coming on baseball and BBQ. They have it's a it's a great great charity that they've hooked up with, a great cause. And what Spencer went through is you know just you know I'm glad he's he's all right now. Len, what do you think?
0: What I think is first of all we we know that they've they're going to have a um, a pop up December nineteenth at John F Kennedy Airport, right? JFK.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We were we found that out. What I think is that when it comes to organs and, and transplants, and you it, when you listen to the uh, the interview, we talk about a couple of former guests that have had uh, issues with kidneys. You know, Ed Hearn and Ed Cranepool. And the fact is that people, I mean, it's incredible if you could do this artificial Kidney. the artificial organs like that. I mean, how many people are, you know, then Ed Hearn wouldn't be, you know, laying in a hospital bed waiting for someone to donate a kidney. And it's amazing that we're going to get to that eventually. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really, it's fantastic. And the fact that they're doing this, uh, donating proceeds from the sauce, sauce business is tough, you know? So getting the word out is very important. And, uh, it's mantisbbq.com. And uh, hopefully everybody will check them out, buy the sauce, you know, give it a try. And let me just tell everybody: we are brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. But when I say that, Jeff, you know that we're not starting. No, we're not. We are ending. And I apologize for my voice. Although maybe some people will say, "Hey, he sounds better." <laughs> never know. Jeff, this has been a pleasure. We want to thank all of our guests. Please get the book Go the Distance, get mantisbbq.com. And now enjoy the way out with Baseball Always Brings You Home from the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser. And we look forward to seeing everybody on episode 160.